you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Yo, listeners, welcome back to Chronicles of a Hip-Hop Legend radio show, T-C-O-H-H-L Radio. Yo, stats, yes, what's sir. good? What's good, good bro? man? Everything is good, man. Everything is good. Um, man, we got a lot of shit going on. Um, I think the, the, the first thing that I want to, um, you know, just mention and, and give some much-needed attention to, man, is and uh-huh. something that sort of impacted not just us but impacted uh, i think a lot of people not and, and i'm thinking not just the hip-hop community but beyond the hip-hop community and that is the untimely and unfortunate uh passing of the of the good brother prodigy man from mob deep yeah man yeah that was that that was real unfortunate yeah man you know and um it's 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 bananas, bro. Yeah, I didn't. It's I didn't. Um, I know I had a chance to read <sighs> Prodigy's book, man, and um, mm-hmm. you know, and and it was a great great read. I know he, he was, you know, now it's been out for a couple of years now, but it was a great read, man. He he went through his, his life story, man, past, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, the success of his, his, uh, his grandmother and, and, um, you know, his success, you know, his, um, trials and tribulations and, you know, what he's, what he was up to at, at that point and, and looking forward, uh, after incarceration, man. But I tell you, man, when I, when I heard about it, it was horrible. Now I know, um, uh, you know, um, you know, in reading the book, and I think everybody that is a fan of Mob Deep knows that you know, um, Prodigy, you know, unfortunately suffered with sickle cell anemia, which would, um, which was, you know, so severe at times that it would, it would, mm-hmm. uh, you know, put him in a in a debilitated state. Um, but he would always overcome it, man. So, um, you know, it's just horrible to 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 hear about that, man. Yeah, very very much so, man. That was, um, it hit me hard, man. You know, um, it, it was like, basically, excuse me, it was like I, you know, actually lost, like, a, a part of the, the culture, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he 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 brought a different type of description, you know what I'm saying, to, 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 to the masses. Definitely. You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate, man. Yeah. But you, you know me, dog. I don't buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't buy it, man. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I know he's pa- I know he passed, but yo, I, I, I watch videos of this dude giving a thirteen year old a health lesson on how to live with sickle cell. Wow. Yeah. What what and 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 
and I and I always talk about this. Mm-hmm. It always falls back to your diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. And he and, right. and he stated this. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. And the way he the way he just de- de- described the disease, it was like an alarm. Mm-hmm. So if you put something wrong in your body, that's what sets off the sickle cell. Mm-hmm. It lets you know it's not supposed to be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I mean, rest in peace to Prodigy, man. I'm I'm. I'm still upset about that, man. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. I um I was listening to um just yesterday or the day before or not yesterday, I'm tripping. Uh two days ago, man, I was three days ago, maybe I was I was out, you know, doing my my walk, um, trying to, you know, get, get some exercise and doing my, my walk. And I was mm-hmm. listening to Mob Deep's uh first album. Well, not the first album, you know, the the, the second album of Mob Mob Deep, but so many of us as fans considered it the first joint, and that's the infamous, right? Um, Uh And I was listening to that shit, and I was like, God damn, this is such a great album, man. And and I've known that, but I haven't listened to it in a couple of years, right? Um, But I remember when it first came out, just listening to it just religiously, man, just just constantly playing it. and And I had a you know, had a chance to revisit the album, obviously, you know, as a result of, um, not, not that I wouldn't have, but, you know, I guess Prodigy's passing sort of served as the, as the impetus for me to go ahead and listen to the album, man, and, and, and listening to it, I felt like the same way I did, um, back in 95 when the album first came out, right? It was 95, yeah, yeah, 95 when the album first came out. And I was just excited, and I and I, I was transported back to that time, and just the way that I felt with listening to just the raw rawness of Mob Deep, and then just the you know the 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 raw unique style of Prodigy, man. So yeah, man. You know it was, yeah. it was just, and then over the years, obviously, you know Mob Deep has has released a, um, you know um, a, a, just just a bevy of of other you know, great albums and works and Havoc has gone on to do some independent stuff and, and Prodigy has certainly done some independent, you know, um, projects over the years, but yeah, man, it's just, yeah, it's Pro- crazy, Prodigy, man. we gonna, we're oh, gonna oh, you, man. I gotta, I, I, I gotta, so it's a little, this is, this is how much Mob Deep was in, was part of the culture. My man, my, my man Kev, shout out yeah. to my man Kev, man, he just, he just, he just, you know, got some land in Queens. I'm proud of you, brother. That's what's up. You know what I'm saying? But my man Kev, dead ass, listened to murder music. And until and on this same day right now, what's this? Uh, June what? 25th. 20, 20, 20, 20, right. So, so on even till this day, for the last maybe year or so, dog, mm-hmm. this dude plays murder music and it's called every day. Every day. <laughs> dog. This is the only thing he listens to, dog. Yeah, yeah. And it's my album. It's yeah. my album. Yeah. I lent it to him. Right. Never got it back. You never got it back. <laughs> plays this shit in the bends every time I get in his car, yo. Wow. If it's not the radio, it's murder music, man. So shout out to Mob Deep. Shout out to my man Kev, man, for just, just, and then like, and and, and now I, I'm I'm here for another two years because just the other day, yesterday, matter of fact. Yeah. He was like, yo, man, prodigy, man. You know what I'm saying, yo. 
and it makes the album sound different. So now it's like a new album to him. That's man. right. But and, you're listening to it for the last year. And it's interesting, right? How how one of our favorite um, lyricists or MCs when they when they pass away, you mm-hmm. listen to the album and it's like you listening to it for the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I don't I don't it's, know it's, it's, how it's to crazy, man. That. Yeah, but but again, no. Um, you know, rest in peace, man. To uh, to prodigy, man, and and condolences to to havoc and and um, the entire you know infamous family, uh, entire yeah. Queensbridge, Mob Deep family, and then I think um, more more importantly, um, you know, um, condolences to his wife and his children, man. You know. Yeah, definitely. Condolences out to the to to all his family, man. Yeah. To everybody. Definitely. It's crazy, definitely. man. But I have another. This is kind of a segue. So so let me know. do this first, though. Let me before you and we'll mm-hmm. get into that. I wanna I wanna switch gears and 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 say on a lighter note. Um. So this episode of the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend Radio Show, um, mm-hmm. coming up, we have an opportunity to speak with the good brother Boyd Melson. And, yeah, that's what I was going to segue into. <laughs> oh, you was going to segue into. Okay, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to jump ahead of you. Um, go ahead and do your segue then. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, man, it, it's nothing, man. But we all know. Well, for those who don't know, Boyd Melson, you know, was a boxer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so today, you know, I I, I was you know in the park training for like two hours, man, going in. Yeah. So this 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 guy comes in, an old man, son, mm-hmm. old man, and and he starts. Like punching, like shadow boxing. Wow. So I'm like, yo, this dude is bananas. Yeah. So I, I go over to this guy and then, and I'm like, yo, like what what kind of style is that? I've never seen that. He's like, Oh, this is a style I developed my on, on my own. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So long story short, man, this sixty two year old man that I found out his age when I was leaving beat my ass in the park, man. <laughs> like, beat my ass, man, on some not like beat me up, but yeah, yeah. He showed me that yo, that every day you can learn something new. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this this guy had a one to five rule where I hit him once and he hit me five times. Wow. So yo, shout out, sh- shout out to uh, his name is Killer. So shout out to Killer, but <laughs> Killer. you know, <laughs> Killer. <laughs> yo, shout out to Killer. Shadow boxing in the park, yo. <laughs> nah, that's Crazy, what's up man. though, man. But that's proof that. Um, you know, uh, age should never force you out, uh, out of having, um, a consciousness about your, your health and your well being. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. no matter how much money you have, or, you know what I mean? Or no matter how much money you don't, you don't have, um, there's always an opportunity to engage in physical activity. That's going to keep your heart healthy and, you know, keep your, your overall health, uh, you know, uh, uh, in line. And then also too, I like to think too, um, a lot of people say that by exercising, you know, that contributes to mental health as well. And exactly the, the great thing about this too, um, is that our conversation with Boyd Melson, uh, we had an opportunity to cover all of that information with him. So, so, so listen, yes, yes. the Boyd Melson, here's a great thing about this Boyd Melson, um, interview that that we're gonna play for you guys is that um, we had this interview some time ago with Boyd Melson, um, but you know we we have this series that we're doing and 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 we're uh, 
we're playing these sort of episodes from this from the lost episode series and this is one of those episodes um but yeah you, you know it's a great conversation with Boyd Melson um and I like to add um to you know what stat said about you know in, in terms of referencing Boyd Melson's credentials and that is um yeah he's he he's a boxer right a professional boxer right but also in addition to that he's a West Point graduate Right. Mm-hmm. And then also to, um, you know, have has just gone on to do a lot of, you know, great, um, you know, uh, programs and, and initiatives that that, you know, deal with, um, you know, just just social awareness and social recognition in an effort to help people. You know what I mean? And then most yeah. re- most recent and probably most notably as of recent is that. Now the good brother is uh is is running for Congress. So yeah, man. you know yeah. we have a great conversation with Boyd Melson coming up. But um, what else? What else you got going on? Stats. I know it's been a while since we've had a chance to sort of engage in this this sort of pre-interview dialogue. You know. Yeah, man. I mean, everything is everything is a blessing, man. I, you know, I mean, I, I would like to think that everybody's out. You know, everybody out listening to us right now is either has a, a some type of plan or you know, uh, a, a good day where they can level up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, and then that's what it's all about, man. I mean, I don't want to get too, too much into it, but you know, I, I recently, you know, uh, felt that way, you know, I had a new opportunity, so I took it and it, you know, it feels good. It's a, it's a level that I've never been to. So that's I'm right. pretty cool about that. That's right. That's right. You know what I mean? So, you know, I just want to you know tell everybody, man, listen, if you got your plan, if you know, if you're out here, you know, you got something that you want to do, Go for it, do it, man. Because, you know, and, and it's and it's the way that things happen. Sometimes you have to, you know, shut everybody out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? That's true. You, you, I mean, I don't know. And people, you you guys might not understand this yet. Maybe the younger folks won't. You know what I mean? But people are, are, of of Asian wisdom, yeah. sometimes they know. You know, sometimes you have to let things manifest within. Yeah. Before you before you can speak it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. You know? That's true. Um, you know? You know what I want to uh, I'd like to add on to that, too. And that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the um, what I've come to realize, man, is that, you know, time is is one. Of the, and I've said this before on this show, this phrase exactly like this. You know, time is is a is is a commodity that's not renewable. Right. So mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. don't you know, once time once if we're wasting time, we don't get it back. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. So if yeah. you match that with the with the idea um of life not being promised tomorrow every day you should be in you should be making progress towards uh whatever goals you set you know what i mean you should be able to say when you lay your head down at night or when you wake up in the morning you should say you know what thank you for yesterday because i was able to make the progress yesterday one step closer to my goal you know what right. i mean and but if you right. if you pissing your time away um then you know you can't get it back you know what I mean? So, so if you haven't, if you if you one of those folks that you don't recognize the significance of time and the role, uh, the the very significant role that it plays in your life, now is the time mm-hmm. to do so. You know what I mean? And right. and I like to also say too that Prodigy talks a lot about this too, in um, you know, in his book and in you know in interview, interviews that he's done over the years. You know what I mean? And that's the reason why, um, you know, Prodigy, separate from Mob Deep when he was doing individual stuff. Uh, you know, he was going hard, man. He was, uh, you know, just a businessman and, um, you know, just doing all types of things, man, because you have to 
make the most out of every day. You know what I mean? And truthfully, right. like, that is the mark of a of a true boss, realizing that every day is a day to uh, to get closer to the goals that you set for yourself. You're right, man. And it also goes for Boyd Melson, too, That's right. because That's right. I, I remember, you know, uh, when we did the interview, I, I can feel this energy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I mean, I, I, I can feel it, man. So it's, it's guys like that, you know what I mean, that we need out here. That's right. You know what I'm saying? We need guys like, you know, Boyd Melson and, uh, you know, and Prodigy, rest in peace to him. He did what he had to do while he was here. He did, you know, he did what he had to do. But like I said, man, we still have guys like Boyd Melson out here still growing, still doing amazing things, Right. you know, for, for the community, you know, for himself. And, uh, you know, I would like to think that, you know, he put himself in a position to keep going. And I see it, you know what I mean? Because like I said, I, I can feel the dude's energy, man. So shout to Boyd, man. You know, I, I wish him the best of luck on his congressman, you know, uh, his adventure. And, you know what I mean? They, it, it's just so funny because it's like when I when I found out that he was running for congressman, mm-hmm. I was like, yo, we know this dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? It, it, it's, it's bananas, man. So, I mean, shout to Boyd, man. It was a, it was a nice interview. Yeah, true indeed, true indeed. So, um, yo, listeners, uh, so what we're going to get ready to do is, wait, you know what? I, I got to say something because I, I know, you know, over the past couple of shows, we haven't had to really share perspective. So, mm-hmm. listen, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with someone and I told mm-hmm. them I don't really mess with award shows, right? Like I used to like them back in the day. Well, to say I liked them, award, mu- and I'm talking about music award shows, to say that I liked them um mm-hmm. is a uh, is a is far fetched right because i i don't and it's a bit embellished because the truth is is that i only watched them because uh there's nothing else on or you know i i, I sh- or, or if, if full disclosure i watched them because there was a sense of obligation to do it now i find that at this stage of my life i don't care one bit about the award shows so mm-hmm. so stats put the put out there today's date right it's the 25th um so for all of you by the time you hear it you know this day is going to be you know a few days past by the time you hear this episode uh this day june 25th is going to be a few days past um and and the bet award show would have been passed as well Right. And people would have talked about it. Um, You know, editorials would have been written and published about who was wearing what the performances that uh, this person did. Um, I don't this shit doesn't excite me, yo. (laughs) No, you know what I'm saying? Like, it it doesn't excite me. Like and and I'm going to tell you the reason why it doesn't excite me. It doesn't excite me because the artist that I like, which Mm -hmm. happened to be the artist that we interview on the show and the artists that we plan on interviewing in the future they never have a spot at the award show despite the fact that they have good music coming out or or they're always releasing music you know what i mean so because they don't get any shine on the on these shows i just don't really mess with it so um I wouldn't. I won't be watching the BET award show and it's not because i'm a hater or i'm I'm getting to be an old dude That, that has nothing to do with it i just the music now is just not for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just yeah. not. And and that that was a um, a realization that I came to the other day because I'm still listening to new stuff from old, or, or I'm listening to new stuff from old artists. 
Does that make yeah. sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I'm at. That's why. I'm, that's where I'm stuck at. Man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then and then of the of the the newer artists that I am listening to that have my ear, I enjoy listening to these artists. Um, but they don't get radio play, and they don't get, um, you know, they they they're not um, you know, doing performances at the award shows. They're not winning awards, so it's just no reason for me to watch. Uh, award show so i hope that answers your question um you know to to the person that i had this conversation with the other day but um <laughs> yeah but but listeners you know what it is the chronicles of a hip-hop legend radio show t-c-o-h-h-l radio we're gonna get ready to jump into this mix this yeah, man. mom deep mix celebrating the life and legacy of prodigy and then after that we're gonna jump into our lost episode uh, with Boyd Melson. So y'all hold tight. Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend Radio Show, TCOHHL Radio. We'll be right back, y'all. Ride the motherfucking way. <laughs> in terms of you know social up uh you know social upliftment you know awareness of of the plight of people that might yep. be dealing with some hardships in the in, you know n not just in our neighborhoods where we come from you know uh uh east new york and brooklyn and east new york and brownsville respectively but i think also too it's it's, it's a national intent that this good brother has you know what i mean all around man all around and I, I tell you you know when when ish came to us and was like yo you gotta interview and have the discussion with the homie boyd melson who has come to be a good friend of mine i was like okay ish well, you know whatever you say because you know, Ish, we got to, you know, he, he's the oracle almost, man. So we got to sort of flow it with, with his recommendations. And then the things yeah. always fall into place. And then there's this sort of moment of of realization of why we needed to, to go along with the recommendations of Ish. But, um, you know, in, in, in reading about Boyd Melson, man, and, and getting some information and, and sort of becoming somewhat familiar with the journey that this good brother has, has uh, sort of devoted his life to, I mean, it's inspiring, man. And we think about, and I tell you what, why, why it's inspiring is because I always think about hip-hop, right? The name of our show is the Chronicles of a Hip-Hop Legend Radio Show. So whenever we have a guest on the show, the, 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 the intent and the journey of this guest has to, not necessarily, but it's good for it to somehow tie back into the fundamental 
goal of hip hop culture, and that is social responsibility. Right. 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 Each one teach one. We care for one another. Right. And we and and in doing and we in in hip hop early on, we did it using our voices to be able to 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 reflect upon the plight of our people that are going through adverse situations and circumstances within the inner city. And then the music served as that sort of, you know, thing that pulled the people together so that they can, you know, sort of get out the streets, you know, sort of allow the violence to die down for that moment of time. And everybody could just get on with the get down. You know what I mean? Collectively. (laughs) But um, I tell you, man, when, you know, Boyd, Rainmaker Melson. I'm I'm just thinking about everything that he's accomplished, man, and I won't continue on, man. I think it's it's just good to we should just bring him on, but before we do that, I just want to say a couple of things, man, just really quick because it, it really is impressive, man. So you got championship boxer, right? Bam. Yeah, That's yeah. one thing, right? Then you got West Point graduate. Bam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you have captain of the U.S. Army Reserve, mm-hmm. right? And then you have this humanitarian, which sort of underscores all of those other things. This humanitarian that has devoted his life to helping people out. Yo, yeah. listeners, yeah. without further ado, let me just stop bullshitting. Let me just get to the point. Listeners. Join Stats and I in welcoming the good homie, our Brooklyn brother, Boyd Rainmaker Melson, to the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend Radio Show. Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome, man. What up, Boyd? What's up, man? Look at this. What an introduction. <laughs> you guys are like Flavor Flav. <laughs> the hype, man. I appreciate it. I got a lot to live up to within this show now. Nah, man. But, but nah, we, man. we, we mean love, it, man. man. It's all love. Yeah, we, we mean it, man. And the thing is, is that it's our pleasure to be able to speak with someone, you know, of your ilk, if you will. You know what I mean? Because you, you, what you've devoted your life to and what you've accomplished, man, it is it's, it's definitely inspiring. And it's inspiring to a lot of people. But I think... When we think about, and we're going to get into the journey because the journey is absolutely important for people to have context about, you know, why they can achieve what they want to achieve as long as they commit themselves to the journey, to achieving it, right? But I think it's important for us, you know, to give you your props, man, because I think in the areas that we, in the area that we came up in, you're talking about Brooklyn in the 80s, it wasn't easy, you know what I mean? There was a lot going on, but you know, my you obviously, and then I include myself, stats as well as Ish in there. Um, you know, we we were able to to get past what the neighborhoods and what the circumstances offered us. Even you know, and, and it was a lot of adversity, but we got past it and managed to to do something. So it's a pleasure, man, to have you on the show, man. Thank you, guys. I'm ready. Let, let's get into it. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. All right. So let's let's start as we usually do. Typical chronicles of a hip hop legend fashion. Brooklyn, New York. Early 80s. What was the upbringing like? Well, first off, what part of Brooklyn? So I lived on I lived, I lived in military housing because my father put 26 years into our country. Armed forces. Armed forces. Sure. I lived on Fort Hamilton Army Base. Mm hmm. 
and okay. and I lived there for three years in Bay Ridge. I lived on Bay Seventh, right next to Fort Hamilton in Bensonhurst for a year. I lived in Warbass, close to Coney Island, for a year. Okay, and then. I was very fortunate. So that one of the richest neighborhoods in in Brooklyn is called Manhattan Beach. And they used to have a block at the right, very right, end right. of it named Quentin Street. And that was a military housing block. Okay. Those actually were the only minorities. You're talking about by Kingsborough? Yeah. Now, Kingsborough, now Kingsborough bought that block after the Army stopped funding it. The, the Coast Guard at that point, it was Army oh. and Coast Guard. And they knocked the whole block down and turned it into a parking lot. I don't enjoy going by there because that was like my favorite place I ever lived as a child and doesn't exist anymore. Sure. So wow. it, was wow. it used to be a block. It was after it was after Pembroke. So it was one more block. And it was interesting because those were the only minorities in that whole. Then they were very affluent. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there was no crime in there, nothing. I, I was I was shadow, shielded. I got to grow up in Brooklyn in a tough time in the 80s, but because of the military, right? Was I spent my life between Manhattan Beach and Fort Hamilton Army Base. Right, right. And I didn't live the lifestyle, meaning we weren't, we didn't have, parents were not making money. We were very, we were probably lower middle class uh, because my mother was working and my father very hard and I had two siblings. Sure. But able to live in that neighborhood, so I never had a fear of anything. Now, what was great additionally is living on that block because in the military, my father being enlisted, not an officer, you have every, it's a melting pot. You have, it's a microcosm of our whole nation. You have every race, that's right. religion, everything in the military. So that's all I grew up around, besides myself being mixed with that. So I was able to grow up and get a real good taste in New York by just a real, New York is diversity. It's mm. uh, Brooklyn's diversity, and on that block was diversity. So I was shielded from having to be exposed to danger, mm. and on the block itself, it was not a reflection of that neighborhood. It was a reflection of, of our country, people from every different aspect, children of you know, the Midwest, down south, west coast, Midwest, right. up north, everywhere on that block. That's right. That's right. You know, what's interesting to me, man, there's a parallel uh, somewhat with my life, um, you know, with that. I grew up in East New York, right? So, it, it, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't shielded. You know, there was a lot of things that were going on and a lot of experiences that I had. But... In an effort by my parents to get my older brother and I out of the neighborhood, and I think I've spoken about this before, you know, with stats um, on the show and some other guests on, you know, about this on the show. I was I was enrolled in this military style program called the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps that was based on the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And I went there from maybe. I don't know, maybe 88, 89, up to maybe 96 or something like that. So the weekends, I was away, so I never really had a chance to experience the the neighborhood like that. But by the time I got home at night, it it was too late to go outside. And then Sunday morning, I had to get up and do it all over again. But I tell you, man, one one of the the greatest experiences that I had in that program is we had a chance to travel around to the other military bases that were still active or some type of military type, you know, installations that were still uh, active in the city at that time. So I had a chance to spend time at on Fort Hamilton. We had a lot of uh, drill competitions on Fort Hamilton base. Right. And then also um, Floyd Bennett field as well. You know, so oh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm very, you know, familiar with not, not, I mean, obviously not as familiar as you are with Fort Hamilton, but, I do recall it, and it, it, I, I I had some great times 
the little times that I had, I had some great times on that base. You know, being on that base, it afforded you an opportunity to live as a child, be a child. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you didn't worry about being hurt. You didn't worry about being kidnapped. You didn't worry about, about something nasty happening, being bullied. Yeah. You, uh, they had a big gym facility. They had big open fields with grass. They used to have, you remember that carnival? They used to come in there every May when we were kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember God. That. That's where I'd bring my friends who were not in the military. They would live for that from my elementary school. I went to PS 195 in Manhattan Beach, and then I went to Mark Twain Junior High in okay. Coney Island after that. I used to bring them always there with me. So just being on there, they have swimming pools. They would have fields. They'd have the carnival. They'd have a little movie theater on base. They had a big gymnasium, and you were safe while you got to do all those. And it was all consolidated in one area. Right. So you really wow. got to be a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That 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 is an uh, uh, awesome experience. I know. <laughs> I know some of the some of your friends that uh, that didn't have the experience of living on the base. They, you know, to your point, they look forward to it. Man, I just I wish I was Boyd's friend, man. Because I tell <laughs> yeah. you, I just want to go swimming. Yeah. <laughs> that would be yeah. some place. <laughs> sounds like a treat, man. Like that sounds like a good treat. <laughs> I, I probably had some friends use me just for that, but I didn't mind. I was just happy they were hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah, but but also too, it's it's the opportunity to give someone an experience that that otherwise they wouldn't have, perhaps mm-hmm. you know, which I think is which I think is great. So you you gave us the the junior high school, I mean elementary school, junior high school. What what high school did you go to? Went to Brooklyn Tech High School for two years. Brooklyn Tech. My father had retired from the army. Okay. He was working at Roosevelt High School in the Bronx as the first sergeant for their, their JROTC, okay. which he went into after he retired. And we lived on Fort Hamilton maybe for two, three years after he retired. And then we, my mama saved for three years straight like an animal, and we were able to, able to buy our first home. And I think a big function of that was she was she, she never wanted to have anybody else tell us when we had to move that's right. or live again because that's what the military life was like. So we moved up to White Plains in Westchester. Sure. And that was a little trippy because I remember the first time we went up there, my my uncle had moved into Scarsdale. So I thought Westchester. That's affluent Scarsdale, man. Oh, my goodness. Are you <laughs> kidding me? That, that's what they have the tokens. They have the tokens there. White, White Plains is not like that. White Plains is a good mix of different races. Right. Scarsdale's make-believe land. That's right. But I don't <laughs> upstate was you from the boroughs you're upstate anywhere that's not new york city the boroughs there are cows that's what i thought or long i knew long island but i didn't know so there in westchester i thought it was like the sticks like real far out i didn't realize how close <laughs> it was and i remember the first time we got up there the first thing my pop six my father's louisiana creole he, mm-hmm. he's like man i bet there are no brothers around here and he was like he was angry he didn't want us to live there because it's not the taste of the real world right and then it threw me off not seeing subways because I was like, how do people get around? Because at 16, you don't drive when you're in the borough. That's but right. You drive. So that threw me. But it was, it, was a great ex- it was a great example. It was a great part of the evolu- my personal internal evolution. I got to experience kids that had different types. I'm not going to say street smarts, but just different types of smarts, different types of life experiences, different types of norms. So it helped me grow. I had I had trouble uh, assimilating at first. I, I tried to hang out with who I thought were the cool kids sure. rather than sticking to my roots. And I always, outside of the classroom, my life is hanging around minority, African-Americans, Hispanic, that's all. The only, because I was always into, big time into sports and combat sports and, mm-hmm. and hip-hop and more aggressive and physical by nature. So my, mm-hmm. my life was always, academics were Caucasian and then anything outside of that just about, Closest friends, uh, 
I, was, I hate the word minorities, but just for what people understand right. those terms. And when I moved up there, I tried to fit in with the groups that weren't my group. And I tried that I didn't feel comfortable with. So I tried to go with the cool kids, not all cool, and it was mostly Caucasian. And, and I had a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And I started spending every weekend coming back to Fort Hamilton to hang out with my friends from there because that's where I felt comfortable. Sure. And then I think yeah. when the big change happened, I just finally said, forget it. And I started every lunch when it was more white kids than not in the school, but they'd go out for lunch and they'd take, you know, in their cars because they were driving. I'd go and play basketball in the gym. That was what I wanted to do. Right. And I, and I was mostly the brothers in school. And then I started building bonds and, and I always could relate to them because that's what I was more comfortable with. And that was always what I related to back back at home. Sure. Back yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the boroughs and then senior year I kind of settled into my groove I really didn't have a click you know when you grow up mixed you you kind of clickless it happens you're trying to find yourself right you are what you fit in with you're not dark enough for some people to, to think you're cool but right. you're not you have a little too street in you for, to really not get looked at like you're strange by another group right and yeah yeah it, it's tough it, that, that thing that which comedian said it was it was it was a Cat Williams or Chris Rock that said you have to be successful as a brother as if you're mixed you have to be successful to get claimed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think the other thing too is is that and I've heard someone say this before and I'm I'm paraphrasing and that is you know you got <laughs> you have too much melanin for one group and not enough melanin for the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's and I can imagine what that's like. I'm not. Um, you know, um, uh, both of my parents are, are African American, but I am, you know, as a kid growing up and even now, very fair skinned. So I've been, you know, in elementary school particularly, I've had people contest me down. You're not, you, you both of your parents are not black. Which one of your parents are white? And yeah. I've had people call me piss colored before. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do you, as a child, I mean, when you get to be older, you start to realize that that's really nothing more than a result of someone's own in, own ignorance, mm-hmm. right? But when you're a child, how do you process that? You know yeah. what I mean? And then, then there's this sense of belonging, right? And you know, it, it, it's tough sometimes, man. It, it it really is, you know. And and the, the 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 lucky part of it is that if you're able just to to hold your ground, be yourself, and make it through it, so that you are able to get to a point where you understand that this truly is a result of someone's own someone's uh, miseducation and ignorance. It's like okay, I, you know, I, I get it. That it doesn't bother me anymore. But I get it, man. I, I understand. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Nah, man. I was going to say, like, you know, when you're young, there's always, you know, a, a road to choose, or you know, a, a way to. You know, you can always go a, a different direction because even when I was young, I heard things. Yeah. You know, like, you know, people would tease me and be like, oh, you know, you're too dark. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And it was, it was like, wow, that's crazy. But, you know, it is what it is, man. And it's funny because everybody, you know, in this conversation has like, you know, a different aspect. Right. And it all just turns into, you know, one conversation. That's right. That's, that's right. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's and, wonderful. That yeah. was beautiful, brother. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, and, and then, my, my my father, he grew up. They were born. My father was born in in Louisiana, and so was his brother. The mm-hmm. family was living in Baton Rouge at the time. Mm-hmm. But my father and his brother, they had to make the drive from Baton Rouge to New Orleans because at the they wouldn't allow black families to have their babies at the Better Hospital wow. in Baton Rouge at that time. So they moved on out to louisiana now my father's parents are beyonce's complexion my father came out my complexion mm. yeah. Both parents. Yeah. but he had the jackson five afro yeah 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 
him growing up, I think they moved 13 times between Watson and Compton in the 50s and 60s. Him growing up as light as me, with green eyes, but had even fuller hair, curls that had a legit fro. Yeah. He grew up. Yeah, he had, he had that fro that could hold. <laughs> Water never gets through the surface. Never. Yeah. Yeah, so he, uh, he grew up fighting. Because imagine how it is growing up that in the 50s and 60s there, being this light, but knowing that you're complete African-American, but even this African-American drives me crazy. Now, if you lived in this country long enough, no matter how light you are, how dark you are, mm. everybody's got some European, African, and natives. That's right. right. Absolutely. Right. You are You are definitely right about that, man. You know, what's a, what, what's, what, what, a funny story, man, is... Um, Boyd, I had a chance to speak with you via text back and forth a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I had a chance to, you know, tell you that, <laughs> you know, I live in Houston. Right. So it's interesting because when I first came down here, I didn't really I didn't really know sort of co- the, 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 the cultural makeup of people. Right. I, That's it was I, too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know the cultural makeup of people, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, how. You know, it, Louisiana placed in the in the in the people of African American, I mean, of African descent in terms of the history and the lineage as a, as it relates to Louisiana and you know and in Texas. And I remember one time at my local post office, there's a good brother that works in there. He's been working there for at least I know as long as I've been living here. Um, and my wife asked me one day, you know, we were with this, you know, he was helping us, you know, this this gentleman. And my wife asked him, are you Spanish? Right. And my man looked at her. He said, no, I ain't Spanish. I'm from Louisiana. I'm Creole. <laughs> and I was like, wow, OK, I get it. You know what I mean? And at that point, I realized, you know, it's not like you think about how sort of these sort of. um uh, you know the these these ethnic backgrounds come to com- come to converge in like in New York right the, the generally perhaps the, the the experience in the areas that we grew up at that yeah. is what it was right if you looked a certain way people would assume that you're half black you're half spanish but then when you go to other parts of the country you realize that there's a convergence that that occurs and the the ethnicities that make up this person are sort of indigenous to this location and you're like wow that's pretty cool. You know, you get you get sort of a yeah. history lesson of the people for the for the particular region. So, yeah, I always, uh, you know, appreciate that, man. I, I yeah. share that often, and it's tough, especially when you're growing up. When you're, the younger you are, the less life experience you have. Right. So when I, and culturing. So in New York, when I was growing up, like my hair got real thick after puberty. So I had the long blonde curls going downwards. As yeah. I got older, the hair darkened, and then it started thickening going up. Yeah, yeah. Before I started thinning out because of my age, right? And I, and I, my father's jeans he passed on with the hair, the widow's peak. Yeah, so it, started, it was thick, like the water would beat on the. I loved it growing out, and that's when people would notice when a Puerto Rican was the number one one I'd get. But a lot of times when people would say, "You don't look so and so," I'd say, "It's okay that you don't recognize it. There's a whole state that exists." That's right. <laughs> I said, just, just, "Just live longer." Yeah. You know? You'll find it. You'll just live longer. And, you know, Louisiana Creole inherited is mixed. Yeah, that's right. It's it's French, Irish, Dutch, Spanish, Northern African, and then Mm -hmm. the natives that lived here. Right. Whichever those French countries, whatever those European countries raped the slaves. 
Right. And the babies intermix and the natives that, that live. I, I did my ancestry.com already where you put the saliva in. Yeah, I did yeah. it as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. to I didn't do that yet. It's like ninety-eight or ninety-nine dollars. It breaks it down by country. Mm-hmm. And every country is a hyperlink, and then it tells you the history of where people really originated from that migrated to that country from. But I, I had seventy-four uh, percent European, twenty-two percent African, and they were all like it was like Kang- uh, Congo, Cameroon, Togo, and Benin, mm-hmm. Ghana, the the, the French speak ones that now speak French, and I had three percent, one percent Eastern Asian. I don't know where that came from. Right, <laughs> Native American. But you know, and then on my mama's side, we're European Jewish. My mm-hmm. they, my grandparents suffered. They lost almost, my grandfather lost everyone but his half brother in the Holocaust. Wow! When he went to Poland, and then my grandmama lost a lot, but not everyone. The grandpapa lost really. Wow! You well, know, I think I know for certain the big part why my house my household was the way it was, and why I am, and I'm so sensitive to to people suffering is because it's in my DNA, and then it was reinforced with what I was growing up with. And, you know, I don't even say anymore, when people say, what are you? I don't even say black and white because those are colors. Right. And if you speak to somebody from Jamaica, they'll say they're not black. But their skin, they, if their skin's dark, or like a Cuban who's dark, they're like, I'm not black because black is synonymous with African-American. That's what people really mean when they say it. Mm-hmm. So you have some people from other countries taking offense because, like, I'm not. I'm Canadian, but their skin's dark. What are you talking about? So I don't even say, because if I were to tell somebody I'm black, I'm like, no, you're not. Well, clearly my skin isn't black, so I'm not going to sit there like, no, 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 I am, I am. Right. I'll say, no, yeah. I got African, and I got European, and, and, and American, and Native, the Natives here. That's, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I am. So I don't even bother wasting time with that anymore, because it is it is a false, and, and it, there are people, you hear it just like what I said, when you hear people that have very dark skin, and they won't say that they're, that they're black, or they'll say whatever, they'll say what country they're from. Yeah. They don't say it by a color. That's yeah, right. That's yeah, right. right. And it's yeah. interesting because it, you know, it, it, and I think a lot of the, the perhaps the reason why we refer to ourselves as 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 black, right, is because a lot of that could have have to do with, you know, the 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 that four hundred plus four hundred plus years of uh, slavery that we had to endure, and, and and perhaps the conditioning that went along with that. Because it's a good point, man. People oftentimes, when you go outside of the country and other places, no matter what color of the skin you are, people refer to the nationality first and not the, the color of the skin, you know? What I think yeah. is, and I noticed, I was thinking about this about a month ago, every, every person on this country outside of the majority outside of african-americans knows the specific country their descent is from Mm -hmm. and i think that's a that's a reason why we have violence against each other that's right and because we don't know where we came from and but then so then the country that we claim it's almost like black has become its own country yeah we're from but we're not even we're having been discriminated against in the in our own country so it messes up the whole identity yeah and uh, you, you know, you could have. It just it gives you so. It gives you such a sense of closure on yourself as, as a being and knowing your roots. If you know which country you came from, and that's you know, they say in professional sports, and I've noticed this. Uh, my old coach used to say this on the army team that the reason why it's so difficult, especially I'll use it as a boxer for boxers who are African American to make it unless they're knocking everybody out, is because 
African Americans don't buy tickets for other African Americans, but like it, I don't want the handouts. Mm. Like, Irish, of an Irish fighter fighting, Ireland, people from Ireland will fly over here to come support them. The same with the Brits, mm. the same with the Russians, the Pol- people who are Pol- Polish, Poles, everything. But that's because they have that country that they know of, right? And if you notice it, also Africans don't like claiming African Americans. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't. Because they don't want to be grouped in for being identified as a culture that's not their own as well. If they're from Kenya, Kenyans or any country, they don't act like the way us Americans who who are who are mixed with African act. Yeah. So right. And it has right. it has a negative stigma to it by looked viewed upon by the majority of the rest of our country, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. Yo, listeners, I, I wanna um I wanna yeah, encourage true. everyone to to do just you know spend the ninety nine dollars right I did it I had a chance to do it you know you you get a swab uh, of the inside of your cheek I think it's on both sides right and then you you put it in some solution put it in a postage paid envelope send it back to the lab the lab does this this assessment um, using the DNA uh, samples that you've you know gathered on this you know this uh, this swab that's you know sort of um, you know, given to them, you know, via the mail that you send back. And then maybe six to eight weeks later, you get this this um, this assessment back based on the samples that you gave. And it gives you, you know, sort of pinpoint, I guess, uh, you know, references on where based on your DNA that you provided, where you hail from. You know what I mean? Ancestry.com. Yeah, I I you did Ancestry. I actually did Family Tree DNA dot com. Um and I tell you I was amazed. So, you know, Boyd mentioned would you say it was seventy four percent European, right? Mine was seventy four percent African, right? Mm-hmm. With a concentration in Nigeria. And some other countries along, you know, uh, you know, the coast of West Africa. That's the um, same as mine. Yeah, but the but twenty four percent, but the other twenty six percent was in, was European. So with a concentration in um, Ireland, uh, the UK, and Poland, which wow. I thought was fascinating, man. You know, so yeah. it, it's definitely worth for people to do that. You definitely get a sense of. Of uh, identification when you do that, it's it's a great thing for everybody to have. Just invest in it, yo. If you could spend you know a hundred and something dollars on a pair of Jordans, man, you could go do that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta definitely try that, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but speaking of like speaking of you know DNA, you said your father, you know, was a you know a fighter, you know, back in this time. Was that something that you know came down to you? Like, was it fighting in you know in, in your background? Is that why you became a boxer? No, not at all. So I had to, I was always, I, I was freakishly strong growing up. <laughs> you said freakishly strong. I was, I yeah. was and uh, all my childhood friends and adult friends. Now, that's how they always remember, especially my sister's friends. So my sister's four years older than me. So I was always the, the little kid who got to hang out with her friends. And there's a big difference in strength from like an eight-year-old to a 12-year-old or a 10 to a 14-year-old. Right. right. And yeah. I would always wrestle with them. And they'd toss them around and throw them around. And I, I loved that. I would always want to test myself physically. And that's why they let me hang around. And so they, on Facebook now, when they're following all the stuff I'm doing, there were remarks. And I just remember this tough little kid that always kept coming back for more. Boyd was body slamming 15-year-olds at eight years old. 
Say again? I said Boyd was body slamming fifteen no, year olds at eight. <laughs> but I was, I would, it wouldn't be easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but I, I didn't fight. I was afraid to fight. I didn't. I, I hate. I hated it. I hated actual real confrontation fighting. Mm-hmm. And I had when I went to West Point at, at all the military academies. So that's the service academy. So that's West Point, Annapolis, Air Force, and Coast Guard. You mm-hmm. have to. It's mandatory to take boxing for all freshmen. You really. Need. Okay. Yeah, it's mandatory you play for a gym course. It's twenty lessons long. When I went, um, the last four lessons you had a, they were graded bouts, two rounds, one minute each. And that whole purpose is not to teach you. They teach you the basics, but they don't. They're, they're not expecting to do much with you as far as turning you into some type of boxer. It's because when you graduate and you're an officer, and you know, worst case, it was when I my, my year graduated six months after graduation, and you're you finished with some schooling to learn your specialty in the army. You're out in Afghanistan or Iraq. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to rely on yourself. So right. the clothes with with stakes on the line, uh, death. So being in that ring in combat, learning maybe for the first time. There's a lot of kids who went to West Point unless maybe they they were recruited for football or hockey. They never grew up fighting. So mm-hmm. now for the first time, not having somebody who's going to help you and you having to stand up for yourself and re- and learn you won't die and you have to stand up. So there was some, I mean, I remember there was one kid, I always talk about him, my classmate, and he got th- th- three Fs. If you don't pass that class, they'll fail you also. You'll wow. get kicked out of school. Wow. So he had three wow. Fs and we were just begging him. We said, dude, just fight back because every round he would end up going in the corner, turning his head putting his head outside the rope and just get smashed. And, you know, he, he, wouldn't to, fight, he, he wouldn't fight at all. Like, he wouldn't fight. No, because who you are comes out, the real you. Yeah. You're naked yeah. inside that ring. You're completely exposed. And sometimes wow. it scares you because you're not who you thought you were. Right. That's and right. he would, I mean, he would be at all the, the green mucus mixed with blood and the boogers coming out and everything. We're like, oh, we'll like fight back. <laughs> and remember the last, the last bout, he did the same thing the first round. It's two one-minute rounds. And the teacher said, we'll fail you. if you, We're going to fail you if you don't fight. And then the last one, we just kept screaming. And finally, that joker planted his feet and started throwing punches back. He got it for a few seconds, it was. And then he retreated back to the rolls. But the coach <laughs> saw him stand up for himself. Right. Gave him a D. And he, gave, he had four Fs and a D, but he passed him because the purpose of the class is what he achieved. Not right. the boxing skill. So that's when I first put the gloves on. And, and it just... Kept going, man. I I, t- I signed up for basketball. Being from Brooklyn, that's all I wanted to play for intramurals. Mm-hmm. My my company, they forced me. I won all four of my great bouts, and then they forced me to box on intramurals. And at West Point, like eighty percent of the kids played varsity sports. Like sixty percent were had a, were team captains. Forty percent or thirty percent had double letters. So these are all the kids that had, were the men in high school, but weren't good enough to play D1 sports. Mm, okay. So intramurals is no joke. And we ended up winning the school. They forced me, they signed me up against my will. And that was a, like a haze thing, but I ended up, we ended up, I kept knocking everyone out. So we ended up winning the school intramural championships. And then they had an annual tournament uh, called the brigade open. It's, it's who's the best in the school. And usually the, the intercollegiate boxing team sweeps, sweeps the weight classes. And the ca- the captain of the boxing team who was a senior was in my weight class, and I ended up knocking him out the third round, out like out. And then they asked me to join the team the next year, and I said absolutely not because I was afraid. Hmm. And I said, I'm thinking that those are the Olympians. I didn't know that college boxing is a much lower level. And finally, I was like, Fuck, you know, forget it. I'll do it. I'm, I just always had that itch. I always wanted to challenge myself physically, so I did it. And then that year, I won the collegiate national championship, and I boxed in front of two thousand people in Reno. University of Reno, gold medal match, 
which also helped me learn, remind, and confirm something I knew about myself that I'm a performer. So mm-hmm. those were two thousand people that didn't shake me. Actually, I, I thrive for it. And right. then, if you kind of look at the sequences in my life afterward, every the whole I, I perform almost always. Absolutely. So, so you you know what I I just want to step back a little bit because I there's something that that is absolutely remarkable. Um, about your experience, man, and I just want to highlight it, and and and, and I guess I want to position it to you in this in this way, if I may, and that is coming from a military family. Was the option to, go, or was the decision to go to West Point the obvious decision, or how how did the decision come about for you to to go to West Point? My father kept preaching. So my mama served in the U.S. Army. Right. Present day, my sister's a, a lawyer in the army. She's a major. My brother also served in the army and mm-hmm. the public health service as an officer. So all five of us served. Sure. So, and living in a military house. So my father used to always say, "This is where you're going. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor, an army doctor." And I remember even in first grade, I would tell people, "I'm going there," and I see my friends' parents look at me like I was crazy, mm-hmm. and I didn't know why because they knew what West Point was. I had no idea. Imagine seeing a little six year old saying West Point. Right. Right. And, <laughs> right. It's crazy. And then I and then around seventh or eighth grade. A little bit older, being able to comprehend, I went up to the school. I started learning more about. It. I remember I told my mom, I said, "You are out of your mind. I'm not going to this school. Are you crazy?" And so NYU was where I wanted to go. Sure. And, but you know, growing up in the Cub Scouts and then joining the Boy Scouts after I was an Eagle Scout, so that followed, followed along. And then loving physicality, but also taking pride in my academics, it kind of called on me. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember what made me change my mind, but it was still to be a doctor. And it was around tenth grade. I just started being a lot more interested in it. And I think, you know, it was a few parts. It was the challenge, a very, very big challenge. I was wanting to be a doctor. But I think the number one was my parents, like I said, very middle class. At best, we were average middle class. Sure. And college, they it, it would have put such a stress on them to pay what they could have. But I would have had to have taken out some, uh, substantial loans. Right. And going to that school you have to you go the government pays for you to go and right. they also put money in your pocket every month they pay the government pays for everything while you're there and you owe five years as an officer i graduated high school june 24th of 1999 and i reported to west point for cadet basic training june 28th my father's birthday 1999 and that was my me going there and taking that responsibility i was my way of thanking my parents for giving me the best childhood I could have ever imagined with whatever resources they had. And I was telling them I got it from here. I'm not putting any more stress on you guys. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, let, let me ask you a little bit about the West Point experience, because I, I, I imagine that it's extremely regimented, right, and, and rooted into, into the lifestyle of, I guess, a, you know, a military person or a military experience. Yeah. How, how is the diversity in West Point? So that what they do, they have a mandate. It's not affirmative action. Mm-hmm. It's they have to mat whatever the percentages are of enlisted soldiers. So those are non-officers, private through sergeant major. Mm-hmm. Whatever the the demographic breakdown is in our country, that's what they have to accept. So, for instance, if one hundred percent of our armed forces of our army is Caucasian, they have to accept one hundred percent Caucasian. Mm-hmm. If one hundred percent were Chinese. They have to accept 100 Chinese for that year. Mm, that's interesting. That? Okay. Wow. Okay. So when I went there, I think it was I think it was maybe like six percent African American, fifteen percent women. I don't remember what. Almost all the rest was Caucasian, a little bit Hispanic. They just this past year, so they always have around between four thousand and forty four hundred cadets at any time. They make up the core. And they just upped it. They just accepted twenty two percent women from fifteen percent. 
this last year. That was the biggest class ever. And so I know what must have happened. There had to be 20. It must have increased for enlisted soldiers, the amount of women joining the Army. Sure, sure. That's wow. that's wow. very interesting. That's it. Thank you for yeah, my pleasure. For, for providing that to us. Because, I, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, I think about the it, I, I had saw something um, some time ago. It was a Facebook post. And, I, you know, you, you always have to wonder the accurate wonder about the accuracy of of uh, of Facebook posts that come across. But it was a beautiful picture, man. And it was um, it was a group of and, and I, I can't remember if it was all women, African-American women, or if it was a mixture of African-American women and men. That's right. Man. Yeah. The West Point graduate picture. Yeah. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, I think I saw that. So I'll, I'll school you up for that picture. We do this. We take this picture. Seniors do the fall, of the spring of senior year, called the Old Corps. Okay. Photos. So old Corps referred because we're the Corps cadets. So old Corps means like cadets from back in the day. Sure. So sure. they that that little they had the collar they're wearing is different looking than what we wear now because that's what they wore back then. Mm-hmm. And you had I what were they called? Were there eleven of them? I think or eight. And African American females, and they had their hands raised in the fist, and that call that opened up how. And then my classmate Mary Tobin, she wrote a piece, and then she on it. She ended up being the voice on CNN, being interviewed about this over and over. And she was the one said she said that that wasn't saying Black Power, that was saying Beyonce, strong African American women. Okay, <laughs> that's what that she's being interviewed. You know, Ray, we have a we have a class page on Facebook about six hundred. We graduated with eight hundred and forty six. We started with eleven hundred and twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Graduated with eleven eight forty six. That was the attrition rate, and we have six hundred and fifty on the class page. And so many people were chiming in, mixed thoughts, and and some were not happy, and some were happy. And you saw like people that were we were, we were real close with that school that they're saying stuff that others could be viewed as antagonizing, like you making you think that they were a bad person, maybe they were racist, maybe they weren't. But right. fortunately, we all know each other. Sure, sure, so. that's right. That's right. Wow, that's interesting. So, so, th- so there is a, there is a rate of of attrition that occurs at West Point. Is it that the, the the physical aspect of it, or the is it the pressure that people just can't can't hack? Or I, and the reason why I'm asking these questions is because the truth is you have a very unique experience, right? And 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 yeah, yeah. It, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask these things just to not to just enlighten ourselves, but enlighten the listener as well. Because truthfully, when we think about what hip hop is, and we think about that fifth element, that fifth element that that goes often unexplored, you know, it, it's knowledge, right? Knowledge is power. So the more that we can get that, because we usually wouldn't get it. You know, we're doing ourselves a, a favor in, in, in getting exactly. it. You know what I mean? So that's why we, exactly. we ask all these questions. And, and and I can say, in all honesty, and I'm speaking not just for myself, I'm speaking on, on Stats' behalf as well. We are genuinely intrigued about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, hell yeah. Because <laughs> I've, never, I've never even met anyone that went to West Point. Right. That's right. And, and, it, and from the story, it's like, and I, you know, and now this is like way after high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm here. I'm listening to this this story, and it's intriguing to me. I'm like, damn, it's inspiring to me. I'm not even in high school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you, you could probably go back twenty something years to to apply for yeah, West Point. Yeah. <laughs> people tell you you sound like Biddy. I think oh, that's for you. Never. Yeah, I never. <laughs> oh, just uh, listen. All right, all right. Okay. You, you know what it is. I, I think I think I agree though. Wait, wait. Especially when he laughs, it does. Uh, it does sound like him a little bit. 
<laughs> so, yeah, that's crazy, man. The only thing is missing is the pocket. <laughs> you know I got, I got to, I, I at a couple of my matches, I had, I chopped it up with Fitty for a little bit, so I have to hear his voice up close and everything. So that, that's why. But all right, I'll go back to your point. So, you know, it's it's frustrating, but it also it mirrors, what, it reflects what's happening in our na- our nation as a whole that we are the strongest. We have the strongest armed forces on this planet, yet I think, from my experience as a country, we know the least about our armed forces in mm. comparison to any other yeah. country. That's right. Act out. But everybody knows about their own country's armed forces. We don't know anything, the average person. And also, so the, the West Point was one of the key strategic military bases where that helped us defend against the Brits to get our, our during the American Revolution. That's right. One of the key right. ones. So when I used to, when I speak to, it used to drive me crazy. When I speak to my some people I meet and I say, I go to West Point, they go, oh, what do you major in, push-ups? <laughs> and I say, oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know. Yeah. yeah. They don't know at all. And then I would say, I'd say, did you not pay attention in history class? Right. And right. so when I went in, that was when the SAT was at a sixteen hundred points. So yeah. let's say you had about you have to get a you have to get a congressional nomination. So a congressman has to approve you going or the pre, or a presidential nomination. Mm-hmm. You can't get in without right. that. Every cadet played uh, had you know about eighty percent varsity letters, sixty uh, percent team captains, or about thirty to forty with two two teams, uh, two team sports letters. You have about twenty percent were Eagle Scouts, uh, maybe about fifteen percent were class presidents. You had about a hundred valedictorians. Oh wow! Okay, for, for Caucasians, uh, grade point average is about a three nine. Yeah, SAT was around a thirteen twenty. Uh, you had a lot of SAT twos. You had a lot of different clubs and leadership roles in the clubs. Uh, what so you're else? talking about a very competitive freshman class, then. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so when people would say that to me, all that reveals is how ignorant you are. That how difficult this school is. So. You don't get everybody graduates with a bachelor's of science. Mm-hmm. That means your first two because that school was originally created to be an engineering school because those are the people that built the infrastructure of our country. The graduates from there. That's right. So everybody takes every cadet first two years, three semesters of calculus, a semester of statistics, a year of chemistry, a year of physics. Um, when I went through a year of a language, semester of computer science, semester of philosophy, semester of international relations, semester of American politics. Uh, so wow. a, a year of mili- uh, a, so a year of history, a year of English, um, a year of I think I said philosophy. A year of econ- yeah. a semester of economics. You have to take gym, so you're averaging twenty to twenty two credit hours per semester. <laughs> and then for the major, so the average kid in college takes maybe fourteen credit hours. So we take twenty to twenty two credit hours. Then you have to play a sport. Right. So if you're not playing a D one sport, you have to play a club sport. If you're not playing playing a club sport, you have to play an intramural. You have to. And so you're combining those two, and then you have to have you have a military position that you get it's peer leadership that you're getting graded on. So you have to fit sleep in around all of this. Right. You have a million wow. rules you have to follow, and everything in your room has to be set up identical to your to your roommates, where the drawers have to look the same, and there's a layout for what's supposed to be in each drawers. Your textbooks have to be in height order. They, the, the stuff hanging in the closet have to have even space between, and it has to be what what's hanging in the closet is predetermined. It has to be even space. The hangers have to be tilted towards the front door. You're not allowed what? to have streaks. You're not allowed to have any streaks on your sink until nine thirty a.m. Your cabinet inside the sink has to be set up the same way. You can't have anything in the trash 
until uh, 9.30 a.m. Your bed has to be made with the hospital corner. Shoes have to be shined on display. Yep. Can't have anything on your desk. You can't be sleeping in your bed until after 9.30 a.m. Every morning, you have to distribute the upper the laundry to the upperclassmen. You have to empty out the trash from the classroom of every classman. You have to know four meals in advance. You have to, each meal is a main dish, a side dish, a dessert, and a beverage. You have to know this. So you have to know three years, meals in advance, but you better know four because some upperclassmen on purpose, the moment that, thir- that three meals out is done, they want to know what the next one is. So you better know four. You have to know how many days there are until the seniors graduate. How many days there are to the, the there's a hundred nights before the seniors graduate? How many days there are to their five hundred nights before the juniors graduate? How many days there are to the yearlings have their yearling winter weekend? How many gallons of water are in this reservoir? How many lights are in a certain hall? of <laughs> knowledge that you can get grilled and you have your twenty to twenty two credit hours in between of all hard classes. So what I was gonna say is in addition to have having this you can't talk your whole freshman year outside. You can only talk in academic buildings, in your dorm, in the library, and in the gymnasium. You're not allowed to talk. You have to walk with your hands in cups, and every upperclassman you walk by, you have to greet. Like, uh, if it's the next football team, like Beat Wake Forest, sir, or Beat Wake Forest, whatever, or if they're, on your, if they're in your hallway and they're in your company, your company has its own greeting for the whole year, every wow. time. Wow. So it's interesting wow. to me, you know, and, 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 you know, from us, from our perspective, you know, it, thinking about this and hearing Boyd run all of these, you know, the, the, this sort of laundry list of, of responsibilities and behavioral expectations down, we, we think about it like, yo, that's some hard shit, right? But, but if we, but, but I think if we really think about this, right, you think about this difficult course load, right? That's that's absolutely nothing in this course load can be considered fluff. It's all hard shit. Right. And then you think about all of the other various nuances that you are responsible for knowing and adhering to in terms of rules and regulations, you know, you know, for campus life, you know, as a student or as a cadet at West Point, this is really preparing you for life. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and, and, and having some structure and being self-disciplined and following some type of, of, of regiment that keeps your life in order. You know what I mean? So the thing is, is that when you have these type of things and you develop, if you went there and you didn't have this type of, you know, sort of organizational skill set and, and time management skills, best believe by the time you leave West Point, you're going to be a pro at it. Or yeah. you don't make it. Right, or you don't make it. That's right. the attrition rate. And that's yeah. the attrition. <laughs> right. A cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, nor tolerate those who do. If you break that one time, you can get kicked out of school. If you know somebody cheat, lied, cheat, or stole, and you didn't tell, and you didn't turn them in, you can get kicked out. You're accomplished. So that, if you <laughs> fail one class, it can be second semester your senior year, and you can get kicked out. Wow. If you fail the Army physical fitness test, you can get kicked out. There's all wow. these things you have to do. At, there's this obstacle course you have to pass senior year or you get kicked out. It's crazy. Like these things, the whole way, it's, it's really a journey. And then every summer you do your military training. 
So you wear a uniform during the academic year, but it's 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 no military training really during the it's class, it's school, yeah. it's education, and and everything is designed. No, not one single class has more than maybe twenty cadets, and it's group work nonstop to teach you how to interact with people from different parts of the country because that's what you're going to be leading when you graduate. And we used to have this thing in calculus where. You'd have to do board problems, and after you do that, you'd have to brief it to the class, standing onto the side of it with your ruler thing sticking out and teaching you how to present, speak publicly, and address an audience. All these life skills, all the time. Hmm. And there's another thing, and we take a, take a lot of pride in this. I would say, out of any college outside of the service academies, mm-hmm. you'll find the greatest, the highest rate of success. African Americans in life come out of the military academies, and I'll just say West Point the most. That's where I'm from, mm-hmm. and any other college on this on this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. all superhumans. Yeah, I was going to say because I was that that was going to be my next question because I wanted to know. You know, it sounds like this is kind of needed. You understand? Like, it may sound hard, it may sound difficult in the beginning, but to me, you know, in this day and age, I think things of that are. Uh, very much needed, you know, for a lot of young individuals because it gives it that self discipline is so strong, it molds your mind, it molds your personality, it molds your habits. And, you know, I mean, you get this form of direction and leadership, you know, and I think I think that's lacking, you know, in a lot of things today. So, wow, that I never even heard nothing like that. And, and when, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, like, man, like, people need this. I mean, they need to be challenged like that. It is, and I I was four days removed from high school when I stepped in that world. Wow, it's I mean, it's tough. It's and it's meant to be that way, and that's why I tell people that West Point is the top institution on this on this country, not this planet. Not because I say the top one prepares you for life the best, Mm -hmm. and that's and that's right there. And then it was funny. We had a joke on runs. You remember when? presidential candidate Dr. Ben Carson said that he, there's a whole big thing on him because he said he accepted a full scholarship to West Point and then they all, because there's no scholarships for West Point and it turned out he didn't, so it was off the stuff he said, so it turned out later that the general, a general had told him, you know we could get you in if you if you want, we could help get you in, <laughs> but then those jokes, and you notice how he said West Point and not the Naval Academy or Air Force to try to, try to drive out because West Point's the best yeah yeah, <laughs> old Ben Carson. <laughs> Senator, Senator John McCain went to the Naval Academy, so he experienced. You know, I saw the, the things. We say, what did you? Lo- what was that school like? I said, it, you learn how to suffer. Mm. You learn how not to get overwhelmed. That's mm. interesting. That is that is uh, uh, d- definitely interesting, man. Well, maybe it helps you guys understand a little bit more the life I'm living now. Uh, why I'm able, uh, why I've been trained, I've been prepared for all these. Yeah, and 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 what I wanted to ask you, man, is because I, you know, and I appreciate you, you, you know, running down that experience for us and giving us context. But I wanted to ask you because I think one of the, um, the, I think that the thing that I'm I'm extremely fascinated about with you is is your willingness to um to to help others you know what i mean and your commitment yeah. to helping others and i think that says a lot about your your character and, and and surely there is some connection to the journey that you've taken us through now because i, I hear this sense of of uh of a, a genuine sense of, of of wanting to help people and and even it goes back to to you saying when the when the annual 
um, you know, Carnival came around, bringing your friends just to be able to have, let them have that experience. There's been, you know, throughout your life, this this genuine desire to help people. So, you know, I, you know I, listen, man, I'll put it. It's funny. And my friend, I don't enjoy doing things. I get I get offered a lot of pretty neat, a lot of neat experiences sure. for free to go to now because of the stuff I've been involved with. And I always ask, can I bring a friend or whatever? And a lot of times they'll say yes. And I always try to vary up which friends I bring. <laughs> We've never got to experience <laughs> something like that. Right. I love doing this. Yeah, that's it's like when I was just on the Breakfast Club. I mm-hmm. brought my sister flew in because she I wanted her to see it because right. she wanted to see it, and I was like, "Come, come, please!" And I messaged them. I said, "It was all right if I bring my sister and my girlfriend, please." So they both wanted it. But listen to this. Mm-hmm. This is how much it means to me because I don't enjoy it when I'm the only one doing it. Yeah, I got. I remember when Canelo was fighting when they they have the press conference in Times Square for Canelo versus Floyd. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. at Golden Boy gave me two credentials. Gave me a credential. They may have another one. So I could bring someone. They said, "Sure." None of my friends were free during the week to come with me, so I didn't go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like I would have been on stage with them because I don't enjoy it. Maybe it's my age a little bit more. Maybe I've been a little watered down having to do those things. Like, I would go to a Knicks game by myself maybe. But that's about But, like, I don't know. I, I don't enjoy it. I enjoy seeing them smile. And, and I, I just think it's the coolest thing in the world, especially my childhood friends. When I get to – when I get to – Allow them to experience something that if we were, this was happening when we were kids, we would lose our freaking minds. Right. So that when yeah, I get to do this yeah. for them, like I love my best friend in the world, his name Tom Thomas Lucas, or and then my other one Thomas Roberts. I got a couple, of, but uh, I remember I got he loved Deontay Wilder, so I said to Bella, "Can I have credentials? May I have two? And he goes, "Sure." So he gave me two, and I got to bring Thomas in the back of the Barclay. That was when Danny Garcia was fighting Malinaji. And then mm-hmm. he got Thomas got to meet Deontay person and then Keith Thurman, because these were just these were my friends and he got to shake hands and he was so excited. And then my other boy, T Rob, went to West Point with me. Uh, he went to he's from Ohio. And so I brought him in the locker room with me into Adrian Broner's locker room. Wow. And wow. Wow. He's in with me and when he saw Broner and then Hop B Hop came in and like the little kid came out and I was so happy that I could do that some whatever choices I made in life allowed me to offer that to my friends. Like that's the best the best thing in the world. Yeah. I guess what's happiness out of it. It's a, it's a it's a great feeling yeah. to be able to be the reason that that someone experiences joy but but you you know you said something interesting man and that is <laughs> you know if if no that experience where no one is available to accompany you you just decided not to go and and could that be could that be that there's such a sin- sincerity in you to to provide these experiences to to folks whenever you can that when you can't there's there's perhaps some type of guilt that exists I don't know if it's guilt. I just think I I don't feel fulfilled. Mm, okay. okay, okay. I don't. I don't. Like I don't. It's fun. I'll I'll watch movies at home, comedies, and I'll crack up belly laughing by myself. I don't need my boy with me to be there. Right. But you better believe I'm nonstop ringing my phone. You need to watch. Go to go watch this YouTube clip. You need to see it. And then I'll stay on the phone while he's watching it, so I can hear him laugh. Right. Because it just it makes me happy because I always I always remember when I was a child how excited I get over these things. And I'm very in tune with my child inside. So I always revert back to that. And like I remember when Anthony Mason, the next one, my best friend, when I had him come over for, we watched the Chris Algeri Pacquiao fight. Sure. One of my best friends since 12 years old, I invited him over to the apartment. 
and he forgot that Mason was going to be there on his face when he stopped and froze. <laughs> I, I called him when he was driving home. I said, D, if I ever told you that this world would work out where you'd be coming over my crib so we could hang out with Anthony Mason, to, if we were 12 years old and I ever told you this, would you believe it? And he said, no effing way. And I said, uh, <laughs> and that's what makes me happy. Sure, sure. Wow, no, no, absolutely. So. Absolutely. So let, let's talk about your... Uh, your involvement, because because I you know I I think that the normal course is to talk about the boxing career, right? But but I I, I think what's more important, man, so particularly since you know we're, we're running low on time, is I, I really want to get into your involvement with stem cell research, man, because it's commendable. It, it is it is commendable to the level of commitment that you've made and you know to stem cell research and and you know while you were boxing because you you've since retired correct well i am gonna have the plan is to have one more fight next year as close to veterans day as possible okay and sure. to have it to have it in where i want to run so i'm gonna the intention i'm i'm the intention is to run for Congress in 2018. That's right. Yeah. So to have the match in in the district that I'm going to be running in, and very shortly after announce. Are you are you are you are you able to to announce the district that you're no. going to be running in now? But you want to know why? I'll tell you offline because you build. They, they let me know the campaign team. Let me know real quick that you build up enemies. You don't know who's next in line, and you're not in the system right now. Okay. So. They may be having some people. You think they're your friend, but their their boy was the person who was supposed to be running. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, okay, gotcha, well, gotcha, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll we won't say we we'll, we'll we won't. Uh, I'll take you offline. Yeah, we'll skirt around that. But um, yeah. So so what what I want to definitely get into. Well, no, you were gonna you were gonna well, say you know, something. It's not. It's not. So that's when I do plan on fighting again. But it's not. And I will be donating. But that person I'm going to be donating to combat heroin. That's the purpose of that. Heroin. To the district. Okay. They're getting killed by heroin there. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's I, I it's not stem cell research, it's spinal cord injury research. It's a okay. cure for paralysis. Okay. And right. but but the clinical trial that I've been helping raise money for my entire boxing career is using umbilical cord stem cells. So that's why I know why they say it's for stem cell research. It's not it's actually you break your neck or your back that it's that first year it's called an acute injury and then if you're injured a year or longer it's a chronic injury mm. so there's no they have like three different clinical trials that they've tried on acute but they've tried nothing for chronic and this is the first one for chronic so if they were using something outside of stem cells that showed promising then that's what i would be supporting but that's what they happen to be using here and so the doctor did this study he was one of christopher reeves advisors he mm. did that he, he conducted this clinical of the clinical trial in China, and this mm-hmm. doctor—he uh, was named in the early 2000s by Time Magazine as America's best in spinal cord research. And he was—he's—he uh, went to Stanford for his PhD. His name is Dr. Wise Young. Um, excuse me, Stanford for his MD, and he has two PhDs as well. Okay. He's the, he's the chair of the WM Keck Center for Collaborative Neuroscience out of Rutgers University, and he's very close with the Eric Legrand, who, the Rutgers football player, who broke his neck. That's right. Back. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm real close with Eric too. He's on Team Fight to Walk, mm-hmm. and he conducted it in China. Twenty patients paralyzed after seven years, injected the umbilical cord cells right above and below into the cord above and below where the cord was actually injured directly above and below, mm-hmm. and then he a very rigorous walking therapy where the protocol where they're almost walking in the 
puppet, but you're bearing your own weight. Sure. Okay. 15 out of 20 now. Paralyzed after seven years. One person was paralyzed for 19 years. Another person was 59 before they had the procedure. 15 out of 20 now with a walker can walk at least 10 meters. And, and 12 out of the 20 got their bladder and bowel back. Now, this is supposed to be impossible. Impossible. Now, so to get published, in a, nothing is fact until it's published in a scientific journal. Mm-hmm. A medical journal. Sure, that's right. It published, it gets reviewed by a lot of peers, and their job is to disprove it. Right. And if they can't, they publish it. Right. So it finally was published this last May, May 2016, in a journal, journal named Cell Transplantation that's highly prestigious. And I know this because every time I mention the name to a doctor, like, oh my gosh, that's a real good journel. A doctor that's in that field of medicine. So it was published. We should be anywhere between November and January. We should have our FDA approval to conduct this study here in the U.S. Okay. And it's going to be out of Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan, University of Newark Hospital in Jersey, and Long Island Jewish, nine patients in each. But then yeah. a doc, a doc, and it, you have to be, you're injured between your C5 and your T11. So that's the big bulky one on the bottom of your neck. That's your C6. So if you slide your finger up one, the next bulk, that's your C5. You got to be in between your C5 and T11. T11 is like right where your arch starts in your back. Okay. Your core, your core it goes T11. That's thoracic. C is cervical. So then it goes, it goes C1 through C7 and T1 through T12. T is thoracic. And then it goes L1 through L5. That's lumbar. Okay. You hear lumbar all the time when people get the hurt. They get the herniated disc, my L1, my L2. Right. And your spinal cord ends at the L1 for almost all of us. Some people, it goes very few in the world. It goes down to the L2. So that's one other level. Okay. So you got to be injured for at least a year. You got to be able to bear weight for 45 minutes. This means you can be in a standing frame strapped and Mm -hmm. your legs are locked out, but you're on all, you're bearing all the weight. Something's not holding you up. Sure. You're away for that long. You're not going to be able to get through the, the physical therapy. So, um, so, so if I if I may, Boyd, I, I just have a quick question because I'm I'm interested in knowing. Um, you know, you you're using the term um, injured, right? Mm-hmm. And and I've always, I mean, obviously, this is a probably a result of of, of my own ignorance in this my own igno- ignorance in this field as it relates to spinal in- injury. Is it the case that an injury? Is is could be in this case synonymous with the severing of some uh, of the of the spinal cord, which is what causes um, you know um, paralysis, or people can just have injuries, and that doesn't mean that they've had a, a you know a cut across the spinal cord, but they can have the same effect with that being paralysis. So almost one hundred percent of paralysis where the spinal cord is injured mm-hmm. does not involve mm. severing. Wow, but okay. The word doctor, you know what, doctors don't use that word, it's reporters. Mm, okay. So, okay. So what okay. usually happens almost 100% of the time is you have your vertebral column, the bones, and, and the bones surround the cord going down. Mm. And when you fracture that bone, it bangs into the cord. Mm, okay. It causes a contusion, so, which is a bruise. Sure. So when it bangs, you know, like when something bruises, it starts to swell and expand. That's right. So the cord starts to swell, the nerves get compressed, and some of them die. Wow. The only time it gets cut is if a samurai from the 10th, you know, 1100 AD came and sliced you with that. Wow, okay, okay. <laughs> or maybe it could be a bomb went off and shrapnel cut through you, but then it would cut through your skin to get to your back. Right, right. Or if you got shot by a gun. But usually when that happens, part of it's severed, but that's because the bullet actually tears through the cord. Sure. 
almost yeah. all the rest of them are bruised. They're bruising models. The bone bangs into the cord. It sure. doesn't actually cut it. And I, I appreciate that clarification, man, because that's being someone that's not, you know, exposed to I didn't to know that. this stuff. Yeah. So, Kristen, I yeah. didn't know any of this stuff. So that's what they use that word, sever. It's, se- sever is what sever means. You collect, you sever your arm, you cut your arm off. For the cord, it's almost never cut. It would have to be a cutting motion of a, a, some type of device cutting through it. Mm. So, and, and when you break the bone and the bone, so you can break your back but not have a spinal cord injury because you can break the bone and get lucky as hell and it doesn't bang into the cord or it could compress the cord but it's minimal and right. maybe you'll be numb for a little bit but right. then when the swelling goes away it turns out none of the nerves were actually damaged. Right, right, that's right. right, right. So so you, you know what I I, I, I want to talk about quick and because and, you mentioned Kristen am, am I saying that name correctly? Yeah, Kristen. Yeah. Please give Kristen our love man for one oh. But I want to I want to ask you about Kristen because she she her her unfortunate experience seemed to be the thing that pushed you to learn this. And I know you just said that, but I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think it's a it's a very inspiring story for one. And I think the other thing too is is it's interesting how we find strength. And, and perhaps, you know, the, the tragedy of others. But in doing so, we also find this this ability to want to be there for, a, you know, a person. And, and we create this this relationship that probably would have never been created otherwise. And I have an experience like that as well. And I, but I just I just want to want to talk about your experience first and then I'll, sh- I'll share mine. Thank you. And I'm very excited to hear about yours because nobody ever has one to share back. Yeah. <laughs> so when Kristen was 10 years old, she dove into a five-foot pool and broke her neck. So that's a contusion model. Okay. It's wow. better C- C6, C7. That's the big bulky one right there at the mm-hmm. base of your neck. And so when I met her, she had been paralyzed. She was first two months after injury, completely paralyzed from her neck down. Uh, some spontaneous healing on its own along with all never stopping her physical therapy now for 23 years plus she from her waist up has recovered a lot of recovered a lot of movement but she's paralyzed she's in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and um she i met her out she was 19 i was 20 i was at the end of my junior year at west point i met her at a dance club in white plains because that's where i finished high school in white plains new york Mm -hmm. and it was called the thirsty turtle was this dance club and she was she was out celebrating her, her older sister's birthday and I didn't even get to see her face. I just saw her from behind. I saw she was in the chair. And, and I want, when I was like, first thing I thought was, uh, I bet nobody dances with her. I want to go dance with her. Mm-hmm. Little did I know, she gets hit on every day of her life. When she <laughs> and, and I went over to dance. And her friends, two, one of her friends named Andrea, stood right in front and tried to block me. And I said, can I ask her myself? And then. I looked down at Kristen, and Kristen looked up and shook her head yes, and I knelt down, and that's the first time I got close to her face. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'd never seen a face that pretty before in my life at that time. Wow. And then, you know, for my whole senior year at West Point, we were off and on, but it was friendship. Cause I was supposed to go to Germany after I graduated. I didn't get into that the elite athlete program yet to box and with the mission of making the Olympic team and in the Army. And then things changed. I found out I was going to be in that program. So they let me stay at West Point after I graduated to help teach there for a little bit before I, I went away to compete. And I started spending a lot more time with her. And I just, I just fell madly in love with her. Yeah, yeah. 
that's a great story yeah absolutely i you know and 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 that's why i wanted to to talk about this because i you know not sure you know about the 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 details of of the friendship that you guys have and continue to have um sometime the next year uh in 04 april of 04 i promised her because i got tired of not being able to help because I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And I said, I promise you for the rest of my life, I will never give up on helping you walk again. And that's what started the process of me spending. It's been thousands and thousands of hours on Google and Wikipedia and clinicaltrials.gov, educating myself on spinal cord, stem cells, spinal cord regeneration, nervousness, everything. And that's, it's led to present moment because of my promise to her, but more important, her, I always got fired up for somebody who was passionate about something and said, I don't give an F. I'm doing whatever it takes to get it. So I was like, oh, shit, you're down. I'm down. That's right. That's right. And it's that, you know, that that never when when you see sort of that that uh, that radiance and that never give up you know a mentality and disposition in a person that is actually going through something, man, it's, it's inspiration and you draw you absolutely draw something from that person. You know what I mean? It, it, it's it, for, for me, the experience was it was a, um, a really good friend of mine who since passed on um, La- Latoya Darville. Uh, it's, it's been, you know, we, we met in elementary school, uh, never really spoke with an elementary school, but then we sort of reconnected sort of later in high school. She was at one high school. I was at a different high school. And then after high school, we got to be really good friends and, and really close. And at that time, um, she had she was suffering from some form of a, a osteosarcoma. Right. There was a, 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 That's a Danny Jacobs. Has. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, 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 yeah. and the interesting I mean, not the interesting thing, but with the. At that time, there were quite a bit of people that I was coming in contact with that I had either grown up with or my wife. Now, she had a friend that also had the same affliction. So during this period and, you know, during this time period, there were all these, you know, people that we were coming in contact contact with that were, you know, having this illness right and and then it would eventually and each one of these people one of my wife's friends who was her dear friend who's not here anymore a childhood friend of mine you know had the issue and all of these people including latoya had to you know it, it unfortunately got to a point where it spread and it resulted in an amputation right so I'm I'm experiencing all of this, but I'm experiencing it, you know, from afar with these other people, but very close with Latoya, you know, her going to doctor's appointments and going through these rounds of chemo and, you know, losing her hair and, you know, and, and you know, but through all of that, maintaining this level of radiance and this, uh, you know, this comedic disposition and this, you know, this sense of hope. And I think, you know, during that time, you know, it's early college for me, so I'm not really you know, understanding totally what's going on or what or what she's going through. But then I'm dealing with my own stuff and I'm and you know, speaking with her one day. It's like very simply, Derek, if I could find a reason to smile every day with what I'm going through, there's no reason why you shouldn't be smiling every day. And I tell you, man, it was one of the best experiences that I've had in my lifetime in terms of in terms of a friendship. Like I have a lot of. You know, I have very few good friends, right? You know, Stats is one of them. We've known each other for a long time. But in terms of, a, a, you know, a relationship and a friendship that impacted me in a way that would be lasting, 
You know what I mean? It's yeah, it was the yeah. relationship that I had with her. And I was, I, I you know, being with her up until the last days of her life. You know what I mean? And, and even to this day, just still thinking about her and, you know, every now and again, you know, just smiling because of, you know, thinking of, you know, some of the things that she said or some of her sassiness or, you know, just... <laughs> 